Hey, I'm Derrick. And this is Daryl. And this is the Cuff Yourself Podcast. What are we cuffing today, Daryl? Today we're going to be cuffing resilience. All right. As black queer men, we typically have to experience a lot of trauma within our lives. And so when we grow up to become adults, we have to have mm-hmm. a lot of resilience right, in order to like live this black queer lifestyle. Right. So for you as a black queer man, have you ever experienced homophobia before? And how did that make you feel? Um, my childhood was filled with homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Just growing up and being more of a, what you call a soft child, <laughs> okay. not really athletic and, um, you know, having my mannerisms and the way that I said words, that was the main thing I was bullied on since pre-K. Mm-hmm. I was called the F word since I was in kindergarten. <laughs> mm, yeah. And um, so that's definitely uh, the baseline of the homophobia that I felt growing up or experienced growing up. And um, as I became an adult, I experienced it in different ways, like walking to work in the morning, walking to the train. Um, I would, you know, get the F word called at me on the way there because my I wear skinny jeans and stuff wow. like that. And um, so I've, I've got it in multitude of ways over the years. Um, I've never been attacked, like, physically for being gay. Mm-hmm. I've been attacked physically, but I feel like... <laughs> I feel like the people that attacked me was gay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I don't, I, so that experience that I had wasn't tied to homophobia, but I feel like if you look a certain way or move a certain way, people will pounce on you because they think they can, you know, take advantage mm, of you. So yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Okay. What about you? For me, yeah, growing up, I definitely experienced homophobia, like, from my family because <laughs> mm-hmm. growing up my family is Jamaican so it's mm. a lot of just like no batiman no no fags no sissies no girls no. right and like I did experience that a lot as a child and then as even as an adult I think for me I was actually gay bash one time with my partner mm-hmm. in in Maryland close to my house mm-hmm. And I was just shocked because I remember we were like leaving the supermarket and we were walking back to my apartment and these guys got out of a car and was calling us fags and this and that. Mm -hmm. And then my partner at the time wanted to like fight them. And I had to like, Mm -hmm. my my New York came out and I had to just like grab him like, nah, like we don't know who these dudes are. We don't know what they got in this car. Mm -hmm. We don't know who else they with. Right. This not our neighborhood. I was just like, these are all just red flags. I was like, let's just get up out of here. I think I just was just shocked that that happened. You know, like in the 2000s. It's just like, you've, because I feel like growing up, you saw stuff like that happen in the 90s. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> look at the comment session on most of these sites on the shade room and all of that. Like, homophobia is still alive and well. In this current generation, in this current society. Yeah, but I feel like America likes to paint this picture that we're just so progressive and we're so far ahead. Because, mm-hmm. like, even though now we have, like, Little Nas X, it took a lot of work to even get here. 
And it took him coming, not coming out at first. It's like we haven't seen someone that came out gay and be successful in that light. Like, like even Billy Porter, like, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't always, yeah. uh, you know, front, like in the 90s, he wasn't out and gay. But he was an R&B singer in the 90s. Yeah, and he wasn't gay. <laughs> he was thinking about women. <laughs> he was thinking about women's, women's, women's. Okay. 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 <laughs> so it's like now, it's. I feel like we have more people that are out to be able to um, push people like Lil Nas X to the forefront. Like our money matters. Our um, mm-hmm. our buying power matters, and we've been buying Lil Nas X. We've been you know, supporting him. We have been playing his stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also we also live in an age of being viral and it, it took him releasing a viral hit for him to be pushed out into the atmosphere that he's in now, what a stratosphere that he's in yeah. now. And, um, with that, <laughs> you still like there was, he didn't come out until he was already popular. Yeah, because that's the thing, like, if he, he probably had to be strategic about it, because he would have came out mm-hmm. before he was popular, he probably wouldn't have been able to get that capital to really yeah. help yeah. with his platform, because I think a lot of things that has helped him has been the fact that he's really good at marketing, and being mm-hmm. able to, like... He's very social media savvy, he knows yeah, how to work it. Yeah, so he uses that to his advantage. And he used to be, you know, a Twitter bar back in the day. And I think that kind of set him up to how to deal with, you know, um, people coming for him online, online bullying and stuff like that. Because he's used to going toe-to-toe with people debating and, you know, going in and uh, making jokes and stuff like that. So that's inside of him. And um, He has resilience. Yeah, he has resilience. (laughs) And um, I think what probably, you know, helped him out is finding a support system upon mm-hmm. becoming famous and stuff like that to make him just be unapologetic and mm-hmm. be confident enough to do things that he wants to do, do things the way he wants to do. I mean, like he had an album out, well, to promote his album release, he had a prosthetic oh, belly on. <laughs> <laughs> like he's picking on all of the things that the community has made fun of when it came to um, gay men and uh, like the things from like, <laughs> Like, you would never get pregnant and all that type of stuff or whatever. Stop acting like a woman. You're not a woman. Bottom shaming. Bottom shaming, all of that stuff. And he has, like, been out there saying, I am a power top. I mean, a power bottom. You know, we don't know for sure what he is. But the fact that he claims that out loud, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it just goes to show that he's willing to go toe-to-toe with any false narrative that's been painted about um, gay men in general. And um, I think he's a hero for that because he doesn't give a... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> he, he's I feel like he exemplifies what a free black man is, pretty much. right? And um, a resilient black gay man, mm-hmm. despite everything that's coming at him, mm-hmm. he's able to just find a witty comeback for it mm-hmm. and keep pressing and keep moving with success and um, positivity because mm-hmm. he's he has a generally positive brand, it's very sexualized, you know, they can go mm-hmm. either way with some um, audiences, but at the bottom line, he's pretty positive when he comes out and do stuff yeah so how do you think black gay men can become more resilient like little Nas X I think it all comes down to your community and sometimes what breaks us is the fact that our parents you know have certain feelings about it 
And when you don't have your parents' approval, that kind of just breaks your spirit a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you get out into the scene, what usually happens is that, you know, we find our way, you know, bouncing around, trying to figure ourselves out in the midst of trying to find true family. And sometimes that, you know, Fs us up. <laughs> and uh, but once you do find your tribe and find, you know, a group of supportive friends and people that allow you to be yourself, that's not competing with you, that's not hating with, on you or anything mm. like that. You can feel um, you can feel empowered to be your true self and to express yourself the way that you want to and to stand strong in tough situations because you know that you have a community that's backing you. So I think it comes down to the relationships that you make, you know, early on in your life and how you keep those up to keep having that support and that safety net behind you. Mm-hmm. I think for me as a black gay man, we have to really learn to lean into our feelings mm-hmm. so that we can know that, okay, even if you're upset, you're mad, know that this is like a temporary emotion, mm-hmm. you'll get through it. Right. After the storm is a rainbow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it will things. get better. Yeah. So, also, you do have to build your own support system through your community. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it honestly just takes, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot. And it, honestly, it takes a long time because the thing is, I didn't start formulating, like, my group, my true group, until I was, like, in my 30s because... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a trial and error situation because you find yourself through the people that you meet over the years. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this situation didn't work out right. What did I learn from this conflict? What did I learn from this relationship? Mm -hmm. So you go through a lot of that. And that's even harder for black gay men because we're already oppressed. We're already feeling lonely. We're already feeling abandoned Mm -hmm. by our blood. So in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. you know, not saying all, you know, LGBT people have families that hate them or anything. But um, for a lot of us, um, our story is kind of similar where we, you know, first experienced our homophobia from a family member. Mm -hmm. And um, when it comes to, like, you know, breaking those ties and finding, you know, people in the streets at the club or at the community centers, after going through all those spaces and places, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you don't find that true tribe for years and um, that can be very detrimental to your mental health. And um, it can break your spirit even more. Um, so I think that mm-hmm. what we should probably all do as a collective in our community is um, be intentional with the relationships that we make with each other. Mm-hmm. Because um, resilience, uh, I feel like companionship and self-esteem is the true foundation to being resilient. And um, companionship can be in any ways, relationships, friendships, uh, a mentor, anything. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that can be a good way of, you know, building your true confidence to build your true self so you can live unapologetically and be Mm -hmm. like Lil Nas X, you know, coming back with that Woody, (laughs) you know, catchphrase or something like that. And I think the fake resilience that we have in our community is the concept of shade, you know. Uh, You feel like shade is... I feel like, no, because I feel like shade to me is more rooted in cattiness. I don't really feel like that's resilient. I feel like it's, um, I feel like to me, shade is a defense mechanism. Like, um, we're able to catch an insult really quick. Like, oh, that was a backhanded mm-hmm. compliment. Because, you know, especially. Oh, but sometimes, too, though, uh-huh. like, 
Somebody might make a comment and it could come off as shade, but it, it wasn't intentionally. Intentionally. To be shade. Yeah. And that's when uh, that whole, you know, back and forth banter gets kind of problematic sometimes because, you know, shade has a negative root. It's kind of like a form of projection in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, oh, did you just come for me? And it's like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for some people, shade can just be more in an entertainment sense. Like, you know, in a ballroom scene, like that whole banter, like kind of like in sports when you're in a locker room or whatever, and y'all having that playful banter back and forth mm-hmm. about like this person's play, that person's play. In a ballroom, it's kind of like, oh, she wasn't, you know, she was gaudy. She didn't look right, you know. She got chopped. Yeah, she got chopped, all of that or whatever. And so it works good there because, to me, ballroom is a sport. <laughs> it's an mm-hmm. athletic sport to me. And um, I feel like it kind of works there. But when it gets into, like, personal situations, it can get kind of problematic. And I think that's a way that people kind of shows their strength. It's like, how can I cut you with my words? And uh, that's not the best way to go. And I think if we're around more people that are supporting and uplifting us, we can start, you know, seeing things differently. We won't be so defensive. We won't be so combative when someone gives us a compliment. We won't look at it. You know, we won't we won't think it's them being facetious or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So um, I think it's just surrounding yourself about around people that you can trust and people that, you know, mean well. So you don't have to exude this Oh, resilience as in coming back with the mm-hmm. word that can cut them more than it cut me because they may not be trying to cut you at all, mm-hmm. you know, and it gets kind of toxic. I mm-hmm. kind of think that people may honestly need to just go to therapy yeah, <laughs> to I, really deal with a lot of like the trauma mm-hmm. and issues that they've dealt with. Because a lot of times if you grew up around a lot of trauma and like a chaotic environment, mm-hmm. you may interpret genuine like friendship love and authenticity as like shade or something exactly yeah because Mm -hmm. that's what you're used to so like a lot of times if you have a licensed therapist or something like that where you can like really sit down and give your perspective to them they can give you an unbiased opinion right and i've been here because in therapy um one of the biggest things that i've been talking about with my therapist has Mm -hmm. been um the people in my life and um, she was telling me, like, do you feel like the reason why you have so much, pro- so much procrastination and all these feelings about the things that you're doing or whatever, is that rooted in, is that coming from the people that you surround yourself by? Are you really around people that are really supporting you mm-hmm. and pushing you forward and stuff? And it just, I just had to think about it. I was just like, that is kind of true, like. When I express certain things that I'm interested in or whatever, I have some people in my life that just look at me with a blank face. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, should I be sharing this with you or not? And mm-hmm. um, so the people around you can really pull you down and make you think differently about stuff. So I wouldn't have known that until a therapist pointed that out to me mm-hmm. because they were able to see the patterns and the conflicts that I kept having with a person, B person, C person. It's like, wait a minute, there's a trend here. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you're not able to see those trends yourself. And sometimes you think you're, you know, we can be self-aware, mm-hmm. but we may, may not be aware as aware of the people around us. We can have self-awareness, but not be fully aware of what's going on with the people in our lives. And mm-hmm. that's what therapy has helped me kind of figure out. And I think um, that can help other people, not just on a mental health space, 
but um, also figure out how to navigate life and social situations in a way that can help your mental health be better and um, keep a lot of the anxiety down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like therapy can help you to unpack your problems and your issues that you may have that you're facing. Right. So a good thing that you can learn in therapy is what triggers you have as a black gay man. Mm -hmm. So what triggers do you have? Hmm. So I, <laughs> I'm quite. I feel like I have quite a few triggers. Um, and the weirdest thing of it is compliments. Really? Why is that? Um, I cannot take compliments well <laughs> when someone mm-hmm. tells me, <laughs> gives me a compliment or whatever. I'm just like, mm, oh, really? Oh, thank you. And I think the thing is, it's like I, I'm very used to shade. Like, I grew up in the South, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, when a shade is a common place, especially if you have a, you know, a Southern mother or a Southern grandmother or whatever. It's a lot of, you know, backhanded, you know, compliments and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and sometimes you got to catch it or whatever. And, like, I always, like, give the example of, like, why a lot of people love uh, Phaedra on Housewives or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's classic Southern Belle shade. Um, that she gets on that show and um, just, you know, being raised by that and having experienced that in my regular social life growing up, mm-hmm. it kind of just like, like, am I pretty? Or are you telling me that I'm pretty because it's, are you calling me more feminine or using an adjective uh, for a certain reason? Why are you using this adjective? Why are you saying anything? And I, it could be me overthinking it. I, I could be yeah. very well overthinking it, but it's just the fact that a lot of those compliments growing up about like, your look, my looks and stuff like that has been like, you know, kind of backhanded. Like, oh, your mm-hmm. long eyelashes and stuff like that. Like, you know, that also been turned into something negative. Like, oh, are you wearing makeup? You're wearing makeup. Oh, you look like a girl. Oh, you know, all of that Dude. stuff. Are you trans? Like, all that type. I've gotten that. That too. is toxic. And yeah. so now when I get compliment, like uh, compliments about my looks and stuff, mm-hmm. I always try to. Internalized, like, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, through um, getting older and stuff like that, I started to just take pride in it and just be more proud of, like, you know, you know, I have distinct features and stuff like that. If someone mm-hmm. wants to call them pretty, I just let them call it. They're being facetious about it. You know, I know how I feel about myself at the end of the day now. Mm-hmm. You know, back then it was a different story, but now it's kind of like, you know, if they being funny about it, it's whatever. Thank you and keep it moving. But I know that compliments, oddly, is one of my biggest triggers. Yeah. I think for me, I don't know. Like, if I'm, it's weird. Like, because I feel like if I'm at an event or like a party or something like that and I'm hanging out with friends and like you and your homeboy just hanging out, and everyone's like, oh, well, is that your boyfriend? Is that your boyfriend? Is that your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like, no. Like, oh, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It, yeah, you're if you're if you and someone else is coupled up, you you come as a two. Mm-hmm. It's always seen as like, oh, that's you and your boyfriend. It's never can be like that's you and your homeboy. Right, right. It's kind of like why does everyone try to always classify you as being in a relationship? Right, and I think yeah, that's really problematic because it kind of that's how a lot of rumors get started and stuff. And um, when people quickly assume that, it kind of makes you feel kind of. <laughs> It kind of makes you feel a certain way because it's like, are you saying that, like, 
you know, we can't have real friends. Exactly. Like. <laughs> can we have friendship in the black gay community? Right. Can everybody just not be in a relationship? Right. And I think that comes from our whole, you know, we have, um, I feel like in our community, we kind of have a, a skewed idea of what companionship is and mm-hmm. what it could look like. Um, because, like, just like in heterosexual culture, men and women can be friends. Exactly. So, in our culture, men and men can be friends, too. And our, like, companionship doesn't, companionship can be platonic. It doesn't always mm-hmm. have to be romantic. And not everyone is the romantic type exactly and i think that's a lot a lot of reasons why we have you know this is another conversation but i think this is another reason why we have so many of these new type of relationships that are coming out Mm -hmm. like you know different areas of polyamory and all that type of stuff because but question mm -hmm. with that too because i feel like people make it seem like as someone's in a relationship they can't have friends or like be friends with other gay men you know what i'm saying it's kind of just like oh like that too that's weird right that's real. I'm just like, if you're in a relationship, you can still be friends with other men. Right. I mean, you're trying to sleep with them or date them. And I think we need to really fix those ideologies that exist in our community because I think that's keeping us from finding our tribe to yeah. build resilience in us. If we can go out confidently with our friends and not have to be questioned about our friendship and about our unit and things like that, you know. Because yeah. like, I even heard before, like, one of my friends said, they were just like, oh, well, like, they feel like there's a divide with, like, if you're in a relationship, you only hang out with other guys who are in relationships. You can't really have, like, single friends anymore. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> was I talking? I, I had this conversation with somebody recently. I think it was you when, uh, um, like, there was, like, a friend or something that only spent time with their, like, you know, mates and stuff like that or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, to me, it's, like, it's two things. I can understand it. But sometimes I also feel like it's an insecurity in them, you know, and uh, because like I can understand that aspect. It's like couples like to do couple things like couple dates or, you know, they never want to have somebody that feels like they're the third or the fifth wheel or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I get that aspect. But then I have met some people that be like, if I'm around a couple or whatever, you know, I ain't got to worry about my man looking at another person and stuff like that. And I just like. <laughs> if you're with a partner, if you have a partner, if that's your life partner, you should be resilient enough to know that mm-hmm. nothing can break that bond. Exactly. And so, and it just comes back to like, we need to figure out why are we connecting with people? Your connections with people needs to be more intentional than like, oh, this relationship is for the gram. Oh, this mm-hmm. person is good sex or whatever. No, find someone that empowers you, uplifts you, and keep you straight on and uh, if you meet somebody and they're like a dope person like oh i love your personality you're dope like i'm gonna hang out with you like let's be friends right it should be you your people against the world you and your people against the world like and um and it just comes down to the tribe yeah so do you speak up if you see something homophobic happen around you (laughs) <laughs> so I've never been really in a situation like where I had to speak up for somebody. I've been in like LGBT situations where we've been in like um and you know in the company of other people of our community where there is internalized homophobia being perpetuated, mm-hmm. whether it's like the whole masculine versus feminine or picking on somebody because they um you know may have like you know 
uh, an accessory or something oh, like, like that or whatever. Or like yeah. That. yeah, and uh, just because they have that or whatever, that's their bottom or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. determining somebody's, you know, sexual uh, orientation, you know, position or what they like in the privacy of their bedroom <laughs> based on what they wear. And um, for me, I found myself defending people in those spaces because, you know. You know, like you said in the um, for, in you know the last episode, mm-hmm. you know we're not a monolith. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many aspects to us. Like we can like so many different things. We can be into so many different things. Um, you know, sexually and stuff. So why does what I wear? Why <laughs> why does what I wear or the way my hair looks like or my natural features determine how I like to lay down? You know, exactly. And I think that's internalized homophobia because it's you know. Uh, it's keeping us from being able to express our true selves because we feel like we're going to be judged for something or be called something that we're not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, For me, I've, I've had to check like family members who were homophobic and I'm just like, mm-hmm. if they make a homophobic comment, I'm just like, okay, so why did you make the homophobic comment right now? And then mm-hmm. I would try to oh, like, I see what educate you're them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would try to educate them, but it's just like, mm, I'm going to try my best. If they understand it, yeah. they do. If they don't, it and, is what it is. Yeah. And I've had conversations like that with family, too, um, where it's like they would say something. I just have to explain it to them. It's like, this is not what really happens. And um, I think a lot of people, they just, a lot of people, depending on where your family from, they have not been off their block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And uh, it's like, you know, a lot of us gays, we travel. You know, no matter what income bracket you in or whatever, we 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 go down to Atlanta for the prize. We go mm-hmm. to you know New York for this and that. We go to DC, so we get to experience different scenes and different cultures and stuff. And I think it allows us to see different perspectives of people within our own community. Mm-hmm. And um, when you come back to your hometown and you talk to your family who hasn't really you know experienced you know things like that or whatever that kind mm-hmm. of lifestyle, you know it'd be kind of a one sided conversation or you know a one viewed conversation and sometimes you just gotta enlighten them like we're all not like this you know some people down here you know they have this type of culture you know we have different cultures in different cities you know Mm -hmm. and um and so many facets of us and it's like a lot of people think that if someone is like a queer or gay man they're gonna be this effeminate Girl, yes, yes, queen, yes, honey. That this is like right. No, all gay men aren't aren't like that. <laughs> and the thing is, a masculine men can still say yes, girl, and exactly. child, and all that, and they can still be masculine because that's our language. Just like we code switch from AAVE and going to the workplace, and you know, mm-hmm. be speak standard American English. Mm-hmm. We have our gay lingo, and we go out in the streets or at work, and we talk differently. Like, and we can still be masculine or feminine or in between or whatever mm-hmm. um doing all those things yeah. yeah so they just gotta know mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you think barbershops and mm. church play a role in homophobia i mean it plays a big role <laughs> i feel like um most like i mean i think most gay men whether you black white or whatever walking into a new barbershop is always like the worst nightmare Because it's all the stares looking back at you, especially if you're not masculine presenting. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, (laughs) you know, being someone, you know, I wear my curly hair and Mm -hmm. eyelashes and all that type of stuff, whatever. You know, I and the way I dress, like I walk into a place and people just look me up and down. It's like, 
where did you come from? <laughs> mm-hmm. And what are you doing here? Especially like living in Baltimore now and, you know, living in a, like a developing city where, um, you know, masculinity is on the forefront and mm-hmm. that toxic kind of masculinity mm-hmm. is on the forefront. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think when I was looking for a new barber here, it was just kind of like ugh, that anxiety of just walking in and have all the eyes on you when you walk in <laughs> and sitting in a chair and I went to one barbershop out here where they had, like, um, this, like, this Pan-African station playing this YouTube channel or something. Mm-hmm. And they were just talking about, like, the agendas and what they're doing to us. Like, you know, the white people and all that stuff or whatever. Oh. And, um, the gay agenda. Yeah, and um, the, mascul- uh, the emasculation of black men and all that type of stuff. And I'm just like, what? What is going Like, What? <laughs> Like, we're still honest. Like, y'all not even this serious about people out here with guns shooting each other up. But this is such a huge conversation. And the same thing in the church. Like, <laughs> it's the same conversations. I feel like the church crew just go get their, you know, haircut, you know, <laughs> the day before. And they have those same conversations that the pastor was talking about. And I just feel like that perpetuates so much toxic, um, you know. It's like in toxicity. the church, mm-hmm. they okay with quiet director being gay yeah as long as he's not disclosing that he's actually gay and it's just like <laughs> how, how what sense does that make <laughs> doesn't make no sense at all and the bar the barbershop is weird because huh, it's like not all barbers are outwardly like homophobic like some right. of them are accepting but it's kind of just like you never know who the other barbers are exactly within yeah. the shop. Mm-hmm. Cause so. I feel like my barber is like really accepting and stuff. And, um, he cut up, um, a couple other people I know that are, you know, mm-hmm. in a community and, but it's like other people in there and stuff. It's just like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but what I notice about some places, especially, um, like when you go to like, you know, in a hood or whatever, sometimes mm-hmm. you'll see a random, like, you know, effeminate man walk in and stuff like that and be like, hey, y'all, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. be like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, so y'all cool, bitch. <laughs> you know, y- y'all cool with the stuff, but y'all still have these views. Like, where, like, is it as long as they keep it away from Because I know people be like, just don't bring that issue around me. Don't bring But that I kind of feel like that goes into the whole discreet thing. It's fine mm-hmm. as long as you're not openly telling people that you're gay. Right. Right. So as long as you're like, oh, we don't know what you do behind closed doors, but right. that's fine. And I think that's BS because, you know, mm-hmm. we need to be resilient. We need to be like Lil Nas X <laughs> yeah. and, you know, Billy Porter, all these people that are out and about now that are living their true selves and making money and making great strides for the, com- the communities that they're in. And uh, we just got to take notes from the representation that we have now because we didn't have it be- really have it before, especially being black and gay. We didn't really have it before, but now... We have people out there that we can look up to and, you know, get a few notes from. And, um, but I think people mm-hmm. even need to like think about themselves and like, like your only interactions. Like, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. like if you're, if you're in a relationship with another man, are you uncomfortable like showing PDA because you feel like you're going to get gay bass? And like, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Stuff like that is like, so it goes back to a few of the topics that we talked about earlier, like triggers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We need to analyze what our triggers are and 
if those triggers are keeping us from being the best partner or the best friend to another person in our community. Mm-hmm. And um, because, like, with the PDA stuff, I would meet some people that just be like, you know, I just don't like doing it in person because I like to be discreet. And I feel like discreet can go both ways. I feel like discreet can be, you know, simply people, straight or gay, that would rather just keep their sex life private, mm-hmm. um, period. And then you have discreet where it's like, I'm this way because... I don't want the shame that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people own that lens though. <laughs> they mm-hmm. don't want the shame that goes with it. Yeah. And uh, shame is a, you know, a huge thing that you need to figure out how to drop in order mm-hmm. to live with resilience mm-hmm. <laughs> in this world. That's against, you know, people that not only look like us, but may act like us or live the way that we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's yeah. like you have to live your life for yourself. Like you have to live your, life your best yourself. life mm-hmm. and live the life that you want to live and not live it for society and, or anyone else. Like if you want to hold your man's hand, hold his hand. Hold his hand. Yeah. And if you see, you know, something, you know, going on that doesn't seem right or feel right or look right, say something, do something. Understanding all situations is not always possible, you know. Yes. But, you know, I think we should look out for each other a bit more. And um, not be as much at war with each other because the more that we find more power together, the more we can be more resilient. Yeah. And um, I also think that um, to add on to, you know, you living your best life and stuff like that, mm-hmm. what you said, um, we have to live unapologetically and we have to live uh, with, uh, we have to live up to our own expectations and not the expectations that this homophobic family member have placed upon you because oh you're my only Mm. son or something like that you're supposed to be this way you're supposed to do this no drop that and do what you want to do if you don't want to play sports or you don't want that career if you want to be a hairstylist instead of being an engineer or something like Mm -hmm. that do it live for you and um i think you know that's a good start towards building that resilience when you live for yourself and not living up to other people's expectations exactly it's sad when i see like older it's like older men who are in like their 40s 50s and 60s and it's like they're still like stuck yeah in these ruts because they're scared to like live their life in their truth yep 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 and we cannot be another generation of people like that and at least in our generation we need to inspire them to you know look down at Mm -hmm. us and be like okay if they're doing it I'm going to live these last 30, 40 years the best way I can because look at all of them. They're able to live it. Mm. And um, I feel like we owe the society yeah. to, like, you know. I, mm-hmm. I even know people who, like, they they dress a certain way and wear certain clothes mm-hmm. literally just because they want to appear more masculine. Yeah, and I've been there before, and especially, um, like, in certain cities that I moved to, I felt like I had to switch up my style and it was, like, recently where um, I met someone, like, that I used to, you know, know, like, back in the art mm-hmm. scene and stuff like that. Um, you know, just seeing how they came out, the house and stuff like that. And when I hung out with them and stuff, and I just be like, I just love what you got on tonight. And it's like, you know, why can't I compel myself to stick with my true style or mm-hmm. whatever? And I had to start realizing I'm trying to not be noticed i'm trying to blend in 
and not be my true self because I'm I'm worried that I might get badged walking mm-hmm. home at night or something like that. So it's like a safety defense mechanism. It, it yeah. If I cover up my her, hair or whatever, if I wear a hat or something like that, cover up the curls and mm-hmm. you know wear some camouflage pants or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, it will give me less attention. I don't have to worry about somebody like reaching out for my hair to pull it or, you know, saying, Oh, you're so pretty or whatever. Like I, you know, because I, it's that, you know, whole, um, idea of, um, what were we saying earlier about the, Oh, the compliments, like not taking it well and stuff. So, um, yeah. So for me, I've seen myself like in places that I've moved to switch it up and then probably like a few months down the line, I'd be like, all right, direct, just be yourself. Kind of like how you get a new job mm-hmm. and you um, go to work every day dressed and looking a certain way. And then like after a few months, you okay, stop yeah, I'm wearing my Afro today. <laughs> I'm wearing this or whatever. I, I've been so after the probationary period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've basically, I've been there before. And I think that's um, a trick that a lot of us kind of, you know, fall into sometimes. And, um, but still again, resilience is key. Mm-hmm. So you don't, have to go anywhere doing those type of things so that wraps up today's podcast i hope you enjoyed the conversation and if you want to support us please follow us on instagram at c-u-f-f-y-o-s-e-l-f-p-o-d that's cuff yourself pod on instagram and you can also visit our website at cuffyourself.com so until next time remember to cuff yourself and to always love yourself